Hello and welcome to the latest episode of EG's Office Politics. I'm Piers Weiner. In this episode, we're going to be taking a look at the autumn statement. And to do that, I will be leaning heavily on the wisdom and insight of my honourable colleague, former business minister and housing minister, Mark Prisk. Hello, Mark. Good morning. Uh, I hope you are well. Um, yes, I like the idea of being honourable. Because uh, in Parliament, of course, one always has to refer to somebody as the honourable gentleman or lady, or of course, if they're a privy councillor, the right honourable. Um, do you, so, do you stop being honourable when you leave? <laughs> do you become uh, dishonourable when, when you stand up? I was going to say, only, only in title, hopefully. Right, we're, we're going to try and blast through a quick list of what was in the statement, some of the stuff that's in the back, aren't we? And then we'll try and try not to get completely bogged down in the weeds. There is a lot in there. And I think a top tip, if people are going to devote their weekend, then why wouldn't you, to reading the autumn statement? Do look at the back. We're, strong, we're, we're picking out some nuggets here, but there's some really good stuff where it may be specific to individual sites or locations if you're working in the market. Uh, do have a delve and always look at the back uh, the appendix because it gives you sort of the itemized areas rather than the general um, verbiage and I can say that now uh, at the front uh, which is setting out the sort of theoretical context of the stuff so top tip start at the back. Yes it also the, with those numbers you get to see how much of even if it is for a big amount of money how much of it is actually going to be kicking in next yeah. year or three years time or sometime yes. in the guesstimated future yeah Absolutely i mean the appendix right, yeah. is is really where the power lies but there was there were things to there were things covering planning there was housing there's stuff on mm. investment zones there's stuff mm -hmm. on fdi um, business rates i mean it, it was it was chocker let's just look at the top line though um this was pitched very much by jeremy hunt as a an autumn statement for growth. He said that there were 110 measures to, to help businesses and as well as other things like the the cuts to national insurance. You know, there, was, there was a lot in there that was very positive and that was certainly the pitch that the Chancellor was giving and that the, the Conservative yeah. Party have been putting behind this. But is it really though? Because we've been looking at the I mean, looking at the OBR forecasts, looking as you say at the stuff in the back, Growth is actually going to be down on previous estimates for the next few years. The tax take, far from this being the biggest tax break for business ever, which was his his comment on the full expensing, that's going to be dwarfed by the fact that business rates, for example, are going up by billions. I mean, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? I, I just want your take on, yeah. on is this really a, a budget where we're seeing a lot being given back or is that going to just disappear into the pot of what's being taken away and will be taken I mean, away. I think, you know, given COVID and given Ukraine, uh, the UK government and frankly the French and German governments and many others are struggling with the finances. And we haven't even really got to the awkward issue of the likely need to spend more on both health and indeed defence mm. as we go forward. So there are some things that are baked into where we're going, you know, regardless of who's in office. So I mean, my view would be, I guess, that he's been as generous as he can be. But uh, you're right to say that growth is still going to be a bit anemic uh, in the next sort of 24 months. Um, I think the prospect from 2025 onwards does look better, both in terms of borrowing and in terms of the sort of growth numbers. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I would say he's he's pulled a couple of good rabbits out of the hat cutting taxes for workers through national insurance and making that that tax relief on you know investment 
a permanent feature from 26 27 uh so it's, mm. it's live now and it runs there i think those are two good things one's for investment the other's for jobs so i think that helps um but frankly in the context of where we are generally that's probably about as generous as he could be and i guess in the context of fiscal drag as well that you've got what 40 odd billion yeah of tax being taken from that so the 27 billion of headroom that he had to play with he has used most of that up even though some of it is speculative which does make you wonder what's going to be in the next budget but i guess we'll we'll wait until spring to find that out indeed watch this space but yeah i mean some people have wondered whether he felt the need to fire larger shots now Mm. either because it leaves the opportunity to go in a snap election in the spring uh, though I think more likely, it's always one we always have to remember. And I was sort of going to say to colleagues in, in the house, you can announce something in the dispatch box, but people won't feel the benefit probably for, until six months later. You know, it's only yeah. when it, it, when you you get your pay packet and you pull it out and look at what's been, and you think, oh, actually, I'm two hundred quid up or whatever. You suddenly think, crikey, actually, you know, I'm I'm starting to feel it. It just takes time. So. I think whether he just felt he needed to push the button, go now and get on with it. Um, and to be fair, some of my former backbench colleagues, you know, are feeling very much under pressure, wanting something positive to be able to say on the doorstep. And this gives it to them. Yes. I mean, it, it's it's as much about the politics as it is about the economics, isn't it? But the, sure. I guess. I know it was ever thus, you know, I mean, I do actually think from a working point of view, you know, you've, you've seen a big increase in the um uh, the minimum wage, and you're getting a tax uh, national insurance cut on the amount you then then pay to the government. So the combination of those two will help people, particularly those who are struggling in work. Let's dive into the things that are sort of industry specific, shall we? Yeah. Because there was a lot. Yeah, One of the things that I thought was quite interesting is that he kicked off the the bulk of the speech by referencing planning, which almost seemed to be a, a correction of its its notable absence during the conference um, speeches. While saying that um, that the removed the, the need to remove planning red tape was first on his list, the the detail of that has a couple of interesting things. But then it, it it's not it's not a massive raft of reforms, is it? So there's the I'm sure very welcome um, idea of a premium service for larger developments, um, yep. which uh, for anybody who hasn't picked up on this, and I'm sure most people have, um, you will essentially be paying more to ensure that your application is dealt with promptly and if it isn't then you get your money back so a money back guarantee as uh, as the chancellor likes to say um that's been warmly welcomed and i think it's something that the industry has been pushing for quite a while yeah but then the idea of speeding up planning for for infrastructure projects um they they want to clear the backlog in um, the cambridge corridor um mm-hmm. there are lots of sort of little bits on the on the planning side but it Firstly, it doesn't really amount to a great wave of reform. And also, when you then look at the detail, and this is what we love, isn't it, Mark? When you look at the detail in the back, the amount of money that's being given over to this is about £34 million, pounds, which you know, yes, would be a lot of things uh, in my bank account. But <laughs> Yes, because that's the extra money for the local planning authorities in who you know uh, need to get their game sorted out more. And I thought the other interesting big, issue was of precedent set perhaps is where we're talking about pylons or whatever so there's infrastructure that a local community will be impacted by visually or whatever 
the notion of providing, uh, you know, a uh, an incentive or a compensation, shall we say, with a lowest low C, because that has a legal con uh, connotation uh, of, of what could be ten thousand uh, pounds for a homeowner. So if they want to build pylons in the field behind your house uh, and they need to build them, and that's where they need to build them, you will nevertheless get a. I think it works out at a thousand pounds a year per household affected um, for up to ten years. So it's quite a good incentive in that sense. But it's also interesting about the principle, because this is an area where a lot of the discussion has been around. Well, hang on a moment. Um, how do we how do we make a community be more willing to engage with the planning system? And those people who are directly affected, you know, the build the upheaval of a new bypass or whatever. Uh, is there a way we can we can compensate for that? And um, it's an interesting precedent because once you mm. if, it, if it becomes established for pylons then you know does this start to eat into planning gain money and so on so i i, I was mulling it over overnight i was thinking i can see real pros to it i can see big cons to it uh you know in that people will start demanding uh, this and then of course how do you draw the line if someone's you know who gets the who gets the grand and who doesn't uh is it the people on that side of the street or the people on both sides of the street or do you know how you can see the recipe for challenges but 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 an interesting thing i i think you're right to say that um the principal shift uh is not a big wadge of money um although i think the they had come up with probably the right answer on the nutrient issue you remember the problem with uh, yeah. the environment agency effectively prohibiting or not being prepared to support a raft of housing schemes and they're all stuck and so this is 110 million pounds for what are going to be offset schemes and they've estimated this could release up to the land for 40,000 homes so these will be sites that have got planning permission or are uh, maybe outlined planning permission but they haven't what they haven't secured is an agreement with the environment agency and this will it, this will enable uh, offset schemes to function that could be that could be a a, a shrewd move in the both in the short term because it's the sort of thing that actually you could see starting to unlock those sites by easter uh, and therefore sites being under development uh, in the summer so that that may be an easier one that may be an easier one the one that jumped out at me, and I haven't been able to get any more detail on it, is the permitted development right for a house to be converted into two flats. Yes. Now, there's a, there's a good argument there in one sense, which is there's a lot of under occupation in the private in the private owned uh, housing market. Um, I think those people who've got lots of flats in neighboring houses that have been done you know, in a dodgy fashion will be very wary about how this is going to be policed. So the fringes of PDRs will need to be policed very carefully. Um, so, I, But it, it just sort of popped out of nowhere. I was slightly surprised by what it was and where it's come from and, you know, uh, what the motivation is. But there is a, there is another problem with that, isn't there? Because, yeah, it seems like a good idea. And we all love it when, when permitted development rights get expanded a little bit. And in theory, that'll take pressure off off planning departments, and and that's a, a great thing. Um, but it's going to be the I, I think um, somebody smarter than me said that it was the eleventh consultation in twelve months for uh, for planning, 
and the government has yet to re respond to most of those consultations. So there's this big right. shelf of these things building yeah. up yeah. Um, that, that nothing's really happening with. And also, as you say, it'll have to be the, the the fringes of it will have to be pleased. So that is actually potentially going to put more pressure on if you've got lots of people going, oh, well, that's a brilliant idea. Let's do that. So that could put more pressure on local authorities, which are already incredibly strapped for cash. If they're also having to push through this this um, yeah. fast track money back guarantee planning permission, that's more pressure. And there just doesn't seem to be looking at the index more money going into it. In fact, there appears to be less because the um, the leveling up department and the money that it uses to fund local government, that seems to have taken another slice, um, even though before we were seeing that local government funding was going up, even though department money was going down. I mean, it just seems that, that there doesn't seem to be the money in the system to make these really sort of useful gains for the industry. I think, I mean, it's going to be a wait and see game, isn't it? It's going to, we're going to have to see yeah. and wait to see what impact it has. I think the capability of the local planning authorities has been, you know, horrendously stretched for at least five mm. years, if not more, probably a decade or more in truth. Uh, I personally think there are far too many local planning authorities. There are too many small planning authorities. Uh, so you're spreading the workforce over uh, far too many um, uh, entities. And you may say, well, that doesn't really matter in one sense, because uh, if you've got the same number of staff, then uh, it doesn't necessarily make a difference if you just have fewer organisations employing them. But actually, if you think about the hierarchy of these things, so it means in, I mean, I often cite Hertfordshire where we have 10 local planning authorities and a separate waste of planning authority. And what that means is that those 10 planning authorities all have, you know, deputies and, and heads of this mm. and that and so on. Uh, and, and yet they're struggling to actually have much organization underneath them. Uh, and uh, in terms of resource management, Hertfordshire will be a good example where a single planning department, uh, yes, of course, you could still have development management committees for the localities, um, so that the, the democratic side is there. But if you if you pull that all together, you get a much better use of the resource available. Uh, and I would then look at you know as you say the sort of super planning service charging arrangement. I think government should then match it at central at the central level. So you really start putting in you have larger organisations better able to recruit and retain planners because those individuals yeah. can have a much broader range of things they're going to engage in as professionals, um, better funding. So, yeah, I mean, you know, they're patching up a different, uh, uh, a system that is that is is struggling, uh, but I'm not sure it's gonna make a huge difference to the speed of development for the average developer. Well, what you're saying sounds to be a, uh, a good argument in favor of greater devolution, which was also on the cards, wasn't it? Um, that's oh, yeah. Yes, that was something else yeah. that was talked about with the um, four more deals, two more that are uh, level threes, which are the sort of the, the the sizable deals with the mayor and then a couple of level twos. And I think uh, including Cornwall. Um, yes, I saw that. Your manner of Cornwall and um, advanced discussions with my neighbouring across the Tamar uh, province oh. of Devon. And also they, they, they seem to be um, formalising the trailblazer agreements as uh, that, that would be now be level four. So we've got the level yeah, three with the mayors, yeah. level four being the, the beefy ones, and then level twos being the county ones, which could tie up those planning things. Um, I thought that was quite an interesting advance. What about housing, Mark? Because obviously that used yeah. to be your bag and brief. Um, what did you My spot? Bailiwick, as they say. Yeah, so I mean, in addition to the nutrient offset schemes, which I think could actually be quite practical and quite quick, um, 
I, I think the the decision in terms of the going back to um, the infrastructure challenge. I mean, it's very interesting talking to people around, you know, the 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 paucity of supply in terms of electricity generation and so on in certain areas, West London being the most obvious one, which is now actually stopping developments proceeding. So I think if they're going to be able to speed that side of things up, that would be good. Um, they're putting something like 450 million into local government, uh, local authority housing fund. They think that's going to generate around two and a half thousand more homes. So that is good. And that's principally social and affordable. And then, and I, you know, should put my hand up and say I have an interest in this, in that I chair the board that oversees this. Um, this is the extension to the affordable housing guarantee scheme. So just brief background on this for the people that don't know. Um, the and I started this when I was housing minister back, you know, in 2012. Uh, again, there was no money, a recurring theme. Um, so what we did was we said, well, why don't we offer? Why don't we use the government's balance sheet to be able to go out to the market and secure bonds, which will allow us to then lend to housing associations at a cheaper rate than market rates so they can build more affordable homes? That's the essence of it. Um, and so um, the scheme was three billion pounds for that express purpose. But yesterday in the autumn statement, and obviously I've been involved in the discussions around getting us to this point, that three billion becomes six billion as a lending capacity and also the scope changes. And I think this is quite interesting because this was an area we felt quite strongly on. I, you know, I'm well aware working with housing associations that they've got a triple challenge. They've got to build more homes whilst the rent, you know, is, uh, you know, only rising at a certain level, which is what tends to fund their future development. But they've also got an aging housing stock that is suffering from uh, its condition. And we've seen issues around mould and so on uh, in recent years, recent months. And also they've got to try and find a way of making their housing stock energy efficient. So what the new extension to the Affordable Housing Guarantee Scheme will do will be to offer loans, half of which will be for new, but the other half can be used to modernize that housing, that existing housing stock. Mm. Um, that I think, and it's flexible as to how the housing association does it. Um, now we're just finalizing the, you know, the, the details on this and working closely with Homes England and with uh, DLUC. But I think this could be quite a really good progress for the, the, the social housing sector because it continues to focus on new, but it recognizes that they've got that other capital challenge and it provides a flexible way of borrowing at a lower market rate, lower than the market rate, in order to start tackling that. Because many of some housing associations have said, look, we're, we're at the point at the moment where which do you want us to do? Do you want us to make the existing housing stock energy efficient? Uh, do you want us to make sure all the homes are much better in terms of their condition? Or would you like new? Because we've only got the same pound and we can't spend the same pound three times, putting it in, in very basic language. So I think this will help. So and I was slightly surprised. It's funny, isn't it? You know, to 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 you and I, I suspect is, you know, an extension of a three billion pound lending guarantee scheme is not exactly small potatoes. It's you know, three billion is um you know, I mean, an Estates Gazette office party could run through a good chunk of that, I'm sure. Yes. Um, 
<laughs> I don't, and I, I look forward to my my invitation. Um, but uh, I just kind of feel that the, anyway, it, I think because it wasn't a tax cut, therefore the national media are not remotely interested in loan guarantee schemes, which which means they've actually got to stop and think about some detail. But I, I think that's quite important. And I think for a number of our listeners, that will be a welcome thing. In terms of housing otherwise, I mean, it's very difficult, isn't it? What, what can a government do when the housing market is is that it's quite a sticky market to sell in? Mortgage rates now starting to come back. Is it really a point at which government should suddenly come up with some a new scheme for first time buyers at this moment? Not sure. Not sure. But also the, the need to avoid anything that can be seen as or will be inflationary is quite is paramount, yeah. isn't it? So there was lots of talk about um, the possibility of stamp duty being tweaked or lowered for um, one that I really liked was um, reducing stamp duty to zero for EPCA rated homes, which would affect 0.6% of the market. Um, but, you know, it's, as, as they said, it makes it, it makes no real difference in that sense, but it would make a big difference in terms of an incentive, you know, if you, if yeah. you oh, I mean, go some, in that direction. Sometimes- Autumn statements and budgets are about signals. They're about saying that this is the pathway. And although the numbers aren't necessarily big, mm. they do tip over some of the marginal uh, projects which allow them to actually happen. So, you, you know, you can. And I mean, it, we, have, we have to go back to the fact that because of COVID, uh, the government here and in around the world, you know, spent a lot of money. And I remember at the time thinking, I think many of these schemes like the furlough are a good idea. But my giddy arm, we're going to be paying for this for quite a few years. Yeah. Um, and and let's not forget why Jeremy Hunt is Chancellor as well. I mean, he well, he I, made light of it, but he went in there to fix the mess that was made by the Quasi Kartang Ms. Trust budget yes. punched a sizable hole in the economy, even though he appeared to be saying that that wasn't the problem um, when he was doing well, he's the, loyal and the he's, you know, But I mean, it was it was it was it was a terrible period, um, and. You know, naive is the nicest way of putting it. Um, and it, it just, you know, what the Conservative Party is still suffering from is the fact that at that point, people's confidence in the Conservatives to be the sort of solid, slightly dull, but in, you know, uh, safe with your money people disappeared. And mm. poor old Rishi Sunak and, um, and Jeremy and the rest of the government are having to clear up that mess and you know it it it, it is it, it is where it is so you know in some ways i kind of feel if you did something really spectacular the chances are it would fall apart within a few yeah. days and would then merely add to the sense that actually the government you know is is chaotic and the sooner it goes the better so i think he's torn between those two things so a little bit on housing, some nice changes, some good stuff on social housing. Uh, could we, would we like to see more? Of course. Is it viable at the moment? Probably not. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see whether Labour choose to reverse some of the big things. And I suspect they probably won't. Um, yeah. But we'll see. There'll, there'll, there'll be five days debate on it. Uh, no, it's, it's an autumn statement. It's not a budget. So there'll be several days debate on it. Um, but there'll probably be some sort of vote next week on various matters. Uh, so we'll see if, see see where we are then. Yeah, I mean there there is also the tradition of laying traps, isn't there? If they if they think that they're not going to win the next election, but there's another dominant theme, isn't there, in the autumn statement of doing what you can and with little bits of money and small regulations to try and get a big impact and a big investment from the private sector. And one yeah. example of that is the 
the the line they're going down with investment zones. So it looks as though those are going to be inflated from 12 to 13. I'm not entirely sure if I read that right, but um, apparently that's the lucky number. Yes. And we've got detail on where three more of them are going to be. So it's in the West Midlands, the East Midlands and Greater Manchester. Um, But the key thing is, even though it's like a hundred million pounds or something is, is actually going to be put into them. And even doubling the amount of time that those um, those incentives and those tax breaks last for, that's also another £180 million, I think. So yeah. in the bigger picture, small money, but what they're wanting to do is is pull in what they say for those just those three new ones that they've announced, £3.4 billion of private investment. So that seems to be the thing that they're going for, isn't it? That It's those little yes. hooks to bring in. Yeah, and you, I mean, you know, when you look at international investment or whatever, very often it's small things. I mean, I, when I was business minister, you know, we had a number of discussions uh, with so the automotive industry, and very often it's not... It's not necessarily they're wanting a large checkbook. Some companies do, but it's actually them feeling that you're well organised. You know that, that you're receptive to business, and it's a place that mm. wants business. Um, I mean, just briefly looking at, I suppose, moving slightly on to the subject of foreign direct investment, they've, yeah. they've had this review that Richard Harrington. I mean, this sounds slightly trivial, but they, what they're looking at is making sure the central government and regional government works in tandem so that the, what they call the concierge service is coherent. Now, that sounds, you know, strange in a way, but I recall on the numerous occasions, and listeners to this will understand, if you're thinking about investing, you want to kind of know what are the labour market uh, regulations and how does the, you know, what, what's the tax arrangements for all of that and how does that work? What's the situation in terms of land and planning? How can we, uh, you know, uh, talk to the local regional government about their approach for a bypass or whether we need to put a rail track into the site or whatever it is? And having a coordinated approach rather than individual departments is crucial. If You, you know, if you think of those subjects as skills, uh, life sciences, um, yeah. logistics, that's three government departments and probably about five different agencies involved. So getting all that together so that the business that's looking to invest, you know, they come over and they can sit down at coherent groups on the other side, able to say, right, these are the, this is the information, you know, this is the person you need to talk to on the details of skills and training and so on. And so that what they call that concierge service is important. Um, Do you think and, that you that's, know, that's the more important part of that picture? Um, having that coordination and that concierge service is more important than, say, the what did we see? We saw 520 million pledged for life sciences. We saw 975 million for aerospace, um, 500 million for AI. Now, all of those will have an impact on the real estate industry because they will help to provide the space for it and build those hubs and those clusters. But are you saying that that actually it's it's providing that that environment, that infrastructure? so that people can target yeah. better and be more encouraged I, to, to invest. I think you need both, don't you? You need a you need a, a, a business environment, which is about tax and skills and training and a labor market and so on that is conducive to doing good business and a, a marketplace that you can operate pr- profitably in. And you need a sense that government nationally and locally is on your side and gets business. And then, you know, I mean, I was a trade envoy, a trade um, envoy to the Nordic and Baltic nations, and they are still, you know, one of our, collectively, if you take all the Scandinavian countries together, they're the sixth most important uh, player in this. And um, so when the Danes or the Swedes are looking to invest here, 
Uh, one of my roles as trade envoy was to make sure that if they were trying to talk to the skills team or whatever, and there was a problem, they could come to me and I would be able to get, talk to the minister direct and say, look, there's a problem here. We need to sort this out. And I was able to do that. But I think what I like about their, what they're doing now is instead of that slightly ad hoc nature mm. is to say, right, let's have a let's have a ministerial team led by the chancellor with the business secretary that drives this forward and makes the departments much more customer facing. Uh, and, it, you know, of course, it's important to put certain key investments in life sciences or the Francis Crick Institute or whatever, because. Those all then send the signal to that particular area, whether it's um, AI or robotics or whatever, that actually the UK is a good place for that investment. Bat batteries is a you know a, a, a really difficult one for the UK um, post Brexit, and but hopefully this I mean the announcement uh, this week that Nissan yeah. um, are expected to make I think it hasn't been quite confirmed as we're recording this, but it's it is very much uh, you know being uh, heralded. You know, a billion quid into Sunderland to make sure that that factory, which has been fantastically productive, Nissan's most productive uh, factory in the whole of Europe, um, and one of their most productive around the world, that that is now able to transfer across and start producing electric Qashqai's, electric Dukes, uh, and, and you know we don't miss the boat on that. That's that kind of stuff is really important. The electric Duke was uh, the name of your band, wasn't it? Wasn't that one of your incarnations <laughs> as, a, as a prog rocker? Very um, good. What about the uh, the biggest business tax cut in modern British history? As ah, um, oh, the full expense. The chancellor. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's. I mean, I was looking at the numbers in the back of the book, and it is in the in its first full financial year. It's eight point seven billion. And they rise it's pretty chunky. So it's it's a you know it's it's big camolas. I mean I I I think it's good because it was going to run out in 2026, and you can argue with some taxes you use them to bring forward developments, and therefore there has to be a cutoff point. But actually, what we're really needing here in terms of productivity is a sustained environment which encar actively encourages sustained investment now, next year, and onwards. So I, I think it's good. Um, you know, I always tend to think of it about plant and machinery, but of course there's quite a wide definition of, of, of that. Yeah. Um, so, and, and remember our G7, uh, sorry, our um, corporation tax rates are pretty competitive as well. So, you know, for someone looking to invest, our corporation tax rate is uh, one of the best in the G7, and we've got the 100% full expensing. Now, the US have got full 100%, but look at Germany, which is, you know, much more of a manufacturing nation than we are. Their expensing is only at uh, 82%. So this does start to make, you know, a difference. And although you may say, well, hell, you know, it's 18% different between 82 and um, 100. It's not that big. But on on a billion quid in a new battery storage, that's that's big money. Well, as they say, you know, a billion quid here, a billion quid there, it starts to add up to some real money. Yeah, um, right. the, uh, the the reaction was interesting, I thought. Um, the BPF's Melanie Leach, a friend of this podcast, oh, yeah. said that, you know, it was it was good and was welcome. But why didn't he go further? Why wasn't there the why didn't he use that as an opportunity to in, to incentivize investment in upgrades um, going down that that green route? I suppose there we get into yeah. the Labour territory yeah. of their of their fund, which. Jeremy Hunt kept calling the 28 billion pound fund, but I don't think it is anymore. I mean, it's changed, hasn't it? But but all of those things, away. are we again seeing a case of 
yes, it's big and yes, it's important, but it's not quite far enough. Or is this as far as as the government's able to go at the moment? What's the better sort of presentation of that? My instinct is that this is probably about as far because he's juggling with this thing where he doesn't want to frighten the horses. We saw the catastrophic response of the bond markets last year. So, Mm. you know, the UK is still slightly on the naughty step in the markets in that um, people are saying, well, okay, look, this current group seemed to be sensible and we'll go with that. Uh, And remember, given the amount of borrowing the UK is doing and it's going to continue to be doing, making sure that people who might lend to us have confidence in us is absolutely crucial. So I I know I totally understand why Melanie will say that. And if I were in her shoes, I would do the same. But I think on balance, He's gone about as far as he could do at this stage. Doesn't mean I wouldn't like to see some of those changes that she's talking about uh, mm. made, made real. And I've often felt the VAT system isn't being used intelligently to push forward an awful lot of the kind of investment in the housing stock for energy efficiency. I, I mean, you know, he is looking, but as you say, it's another consultation, looking at whether or not. Uh, you could have a permitted development right around the installation of uh, ground source and air source heat pumps uh, and where they're positioned, because for a lot of houses, you can't have them right next to the house. So but you could have them maybe half a meter away and that would be fine. Or you could do that. You could have one large one connecting out to several homes uh, mm. and, you know, that would work for a lot of people. But you, at the moment, the planning system doesn't work for that. So it's I, I, I do. My my frustration, I guess, and this is a, you know, going across the whole area is I would really like to see some practical guides. I would personally have taken ask uh, Chris Gimmore to, to go the next step on his net zero review and say, right, Chris, I want you now to drill down and have a couple of task forces. And let's by Easter have a clear guide, a homeowner's guide, a renter's guide, a social housing guide on 10 steps I can take with a rough budget on it so that people can start to think about, OK, I can see that it's independent advice. It's not just the guy flogging me double glazing. So I think on the commercial side as well, you're right. On the commercial side, there needs to be more of that certainty because while obviously the bigger players are way ahead of where the government is on both their ambition and you know regulation, um, it's the people who own some of the tertiary stocks, some of the things that really need some work putting into them and some investment. And at the moment, there's no there's no help for that really. No, there's no, no. Um, there's no stick or carrot, really. But talking of sticks and carrots, um, uh, one of the parts of the budget that appears to be the most contentious, and we kind of knew it would be, um, is business rates. This is yeah. the very definition of the Chancellor giving with one hand and snatching back with the other, isn't it? Yeah. So do, do you want to say the good good news first? Well, the good news is for the small, uh, the small businesses, particularly in retail yeah. and hospitality, um, and looking at the numbers in the so the full financial year next year, it's a, the equivalent of two point six billion in terms of relief. So it's you no, know, it's 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 good money, albeit spread a lot on many thousands of businesses. But of course, yes, you're rightly anticipating that the bad side <laughs> is that from April next year, everybody else, the larger ones is going to see you know the full increase kick in um and And by september's rate of inflation as opposed to the current rate of inflation which is far lower as opposed to the rate of inflation in april next year which they're hoping will be three and a half percent or so so yes whacked with 6.7 percent is is pretty Mm -hmm. 
unpleasant. And I do, I've felt for a long time, and I, think, I know the industry takes this view, that particularly consumer-facing businesses need significant rates reform. I mean, you can argue that a conventional office building, maybe the need for reform is less. But when you're in a business where your income is, is uh, you know, r- rising and falling, to have a fixed charge like business rates, which is not related to how well or badly you're doing, you know, can really squeeze. Um, and, you know, we'll have to see what, how, what that does in, in April. Because the irony of those things is governments always need to remember this, um, that change. And also, um, for example, the minimum wage, they're both going to add to the cost of businesses. So mm. who's going to pay for them? The consumer. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think we always have to be careful. Governments have no money. They only have the taxes they raise and the deferred taxes called borrowing. And that's all they have. So you always have to remember that. I always think if, if you keep that in your head as a, as a politician, on the whole, you won't go too far wrong. But it clearly, I mean, obviously, they, they weren't even remotely aware of it in the budget last year. Um, this time around, I, I mean, I know why he's gone for the minimum wage. and I think it's a good thing because there are people who are really struggling on the minimum wage. Um, but we shouldn't kid ourselves. There isn't a cost. I think that's a that's a really good point. That, that just those those stark figures again on the on the business rates. So just to duck back to that. Um, yes. The uh, one figuring out for so annually is that you've got a saving of three hundred and thirty million pounds annually, mm-hmm. and you've got additional costs of one point six six billion. Yes, for the whole industry. So yeah, so it's 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 a takeaway. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, that seems to be the theme, isn't it? This has been a very beautifully presented, very well dressed up way of actually keeping taxes pretty high. I mean, they're the highest level than they have been in, yeah. in the post-war yeah. era since the Second World yeah. War. Yes, there have been those problems, but this, it's it's incredibly high. Isn't it? The taxation is incredibly high. Well, so- and if you go back to you remember those those numbers with the furlough scheme and all the rest of it during COVID, mm. I mean, you know, we were spending like a drunken sailor. Not a response. I actually, I'll take, I'll withdraw that remark. Actually, I, I was going to say, who was the chancellor back then? I just, um, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> well, we, you know, we were spending an enormous amount of money uh, in most most cases for the right for the right reasons. But at the end of the day, we and I have to pay for it, and it's not. Yeah. You know, there, there is no magic money tree, uh, despite uh, what you know many people uh, like to claim. But um, and so in the end, if governments don't have any money, then it, it's going to have to come from you know us. Uh, and that that's just how it is. Now, you can mitigate it. You can sweeten it. You I think rightly, one of the things you've got to try to do is to find a way to get the economy to grow better. So incomes yeah. grow. And then that just of itself makes a huge difference. Those that's are the, the thing. It's, it's it. not a magic money tree. It's, it, it is a money tree. It's just not magic. Yes. It takes time to yes. grow and you need to look after it. Perfect. I, can, I cannot improve that. <laughs> <laughs> There were some other things, weren't there, in, in the in the budget that would just mop up uh, briefly that, that were quite interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that I spotted was that there was a mention of some more um, emergency legislation. And to my count, that's we've now got two pieces of emergency legislation that are being shoved in. There's another one on Rwanda um, into an already full legislative timetable. How does that work, Mark? Is that going to mean that something gets pushed out? Does that mean that everything gets their time squeezed or is, are there allowances built in? 
Well, the, 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 it, it can be put in. I mean, and actually, the Houses of Parliament, you know, sometimes look very treacly and slow. But when if there's something that's very urgent, you know, I've been in situations where we've had to pass an, an emergency order and you can do it 24 hours. Now, these will be more contentious. And so therefore, it will take longer yeah. and there will be a prolonged ping pong, which I think we discussed in previous yes. podcasts between the House of Lords and the House of Commons, particularly on the issue around Rwanda and so on. There is time, you know, it's um, remember that um, there's a sort of framework, which is that usually Thursdays is is, is um, general debates without votes. Usually Fridays mm-hmm. are private members bills when they're sitting on a Friday. So within all of that, you can you, you've got a bit of slack. The, the business managers on both sides of the House and the, the speaker's office will have, you know, days tucked in there when they can do that. Um, so they'll be looking at the balance for it. But no, I mean, it's interesting because it's actually a shortish parliamentary period anyway, because I think most yeah. people recognize that they kind of need to have the stuff they need done before the election, done by July, finished. Both houses or the whole nine yards. So that's not that long, actually, because by the time you, you know, we've got a, three or four more weeks now, then it's the new year, there's an Easter break, there's a May, whatever, you know, so mm. once you take, start taking those out, you come down to probably five months of actual parliamentary time. Uh, and that ain't long. So it'll be interesting to see. And, how also, if, and if the election is called earlier than, oh, than autumn, which it could be. I mean, that's what some people are saying, isn't it? That this is this is a battle budget. This is an election. Not budget, yeah, sorry, I mean, autumn state, statement. Autumn state, and that actually yes. they might be going to call it sooner than we're expecting. In which case, well, I guess there's no governments will always, Yeah, governments will always. I mean, the chancellor won't know because in the end, it's the prime minister's decision, and yeah. he's not going around talking about it. You know, openly in that sense. But yeah, they they will just be making sure that if the option going in May June makes sense at that at that point, that they can do that. Um, mm. And you know, we, it's happened in the past. I remember when Theresa May came back from her walking in, in, in the Alps and suddenly shocked us all with a decision to go, which um, didn't turn out quite as well as perhaps she hoped, but there you go. Uh, so snap elections, you know, can happen. Do we think, though, that the new man in charge of the bits of legislation that we want to see get through the House in that time, that they'll be able to to shepherd it through? Will he have enough time? I mean, I'm, I'm saying new man, but obviously it's not the new man, it's the returning man, it's Lee Rowley, our latest... For housing. Sorry, I was housing. thinking you meant housing housing. But no, no, Lee, Lee, I mean, Lee is a good guy. I, I, he, he's very able. When uh, I was sorry he didn't, you know, stay or indeed get his role expanded in that field. But yeah, I think Lee is a, is a good guy. Um, I'm sorry that we keep, you know, I, it is it is not good that the, we continue this nonsense of constant change. If there is a new government next year, one of the things I would hope is that they have the sense to have some, some constancy. Um, equally, if you've got someone that's very capable, the chances are they're going to move on to something else. Ideally, it would be after two and a half years or so, so they've got a chance to do something constructive. But no, I, I very much welcome Lee into that role, uh, and and you know I've already sent him my best wishes, and uh, we shall see how he how he does. I think we could we could talk about um, housing ministers for a long time but i just suppose one one thing that i want to find out from you is um obviously we saw the return of david cameron in the reshuffle yes. 
pulled back in, given high office, cloaked with yeah. ermine into the, the bargain yeah. and the boot, and given given chiefening and, and whatever else you get as, as foreign secretary. Um, yeah, indeed. So were, were you a little miffed that as they were doing callbacks and uh, getting getting people well, to return, you know, that, that, they didn't, that they didn't call you in to, for a second turn? Well, well yes, sadly, the, the brisk ermine coat will have to remain uh, <laughs> hidden, a cloak, whatever, I don't know what they are now. I, I'm afraid I'm of the generation that remembers uh, the, the Blackadder when uh, they were going to ennoble uh, Baldrick. But uh, yes, my uh, my ermine remains uh, uh, with a with a cloth cover over it. I think that's a that's a, a very good answer, Mark, for having had housing stolen away from you again. And also, you know, it's now been confirmed that Cornwall isn't going to get a mayor. So that's that's another another job All that they're taking away from you. Gone. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm not bitter and twisted much. That's all we've got time for uh, this week, leaving on Mark definitely not being bitter and twisted. But we will return uh, in December for probably our final one of the year, which mm. promises to be a good recap. And also we'll be covering everything that's been happening up to then. Yes. So, And I'm delighted that you've uh, you've offered to dress as uh, Father Christmas for that particular podcast. I mean, I already have the beard and the belly, um, and I'm sure I can fish out a red <laughs> coat. So maybe I could borrow your ermine. Um, so goodbye from me. And goodbye from him. Bye.